You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. All right. Well, good morning, Northway Church. Good to see you. Glad you're with us. All of our evening service Dallas Cowboy fans who are here today, welcome. We're glad you're here. For our 49er fans in the room, we love you too. Even though the world has rejected you, you are loved in Jesus Christ. It's a safe place for you. Glad you're with us. Uh, If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name's Shay Sumlin, one of the pastors here. We are in week two of a new series we just launched called The Marks, Seven Marks of a Disciple. We are looking what it means biblically to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ according to Jesus's own words. What are those statements in the New Testament where Jesus literally comes out and says, if you do this, then you are my disciple. If you do not do this, you cannot be my disciple. Those explicit statements are where we're concentrating our time in this series. Last week, we looked at the first mark of a disciple, according to Jesus, is a love for Jesus and uh, literally a supreme and incomparable love for Christ that should mark a follower of Jesus who's so enveloped in the love that Jesus has demonstrated for us that we cherish Christ, the affections of our heart, the allegiance and our love for him is greater than all other loves in our life. All other loves pale in comparison. And this week, we're gonna look at the mark that Jesus refers to as abiding in his word, abiding in the word. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to John chapter eight. This will set the scene for us and then eventually we'll flip over to John chapter 15. But John chapter eight, let me give you a little bit of, context for eight so you can understand the words and the statement that Jesus is about to make concerning his followers. John chapter eight, Jesus is in the temple. He has just got done saying out loud one of his seven I am statements when he said, I am the light of the world. Jesus claims that he is the light of the world. He is the savior. And in that moment, he looks right at the religious leaders of the day who are leading God's people away from Jesus. And he looks at them after he makes that claim and he says, I tell you the truth, you are going to die in your sins because you will not believe in me. And as Jesus's words almost always do, it divides the room. Half the crowd that was there was angered and they rejected Jesus all the more. And they despised him for that claim. And yet the other half of that room there in the temple believed Jesus. They saw evidence in him that he is the light of the world and they believed upon him in that moment. And then what Jesus does is at the end of or middle of chapter eight here, Jesus is gonna turn to those who believed his claim and he's gonna speak these words to them in John 8, 31. Jesus said to the Jews, who had believed in him. If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. See, those folks had believed in him, but the truth is, as you'll find out later in that chapter, that belief was kind of shallow. It was a one moment, I'll follow you. But Jesus wants to know, if you're really gonna be my disciple, this isn't gonna be a simple walk the aisle, pray the prayer, grab your hell insurance, then go live however you want. If you're really going to be a disciple of mine, you're not just going to believe upon me on this day. You're going to believe everything about me. You're going to believe all of my commands and yield your life to them for the long haul. That's what Jesus 
is referring to. And we got to ask the question, why is this statement something that even needs to be mentioned by Jesus as something so important that if you do it, you'll prove to be a disciple, but if you will not, conversely, you cannot be his disciple. And what we're going to see in this message today, based on this statement that Jesus makes, are really two aspects that we need to pay attention to in this statement. One has to do with the authority of God's word in our lives and our willingness to submit to that authority. And the other aspect has to do with the avenue that we will take every day of our life in order to yield ourselves to that authority that will ultimately lead to empirical proof we are Christ's disciples if we do this. The authority and the avenue, both of these have everything to do with being a fully devoted follower of Jesus. So let's look at the authority that Jesus is speaking about in this statement first. When Jesus says, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples. What is he referring to when he uses the word word? If you abide in my word, that's not an insignificant statement right there. But the truth is in the Hebrew scriptures, And in Greek here, there are two common words that are used. One is used over and over specifically for the word word, which is the Greek word rhema, which means simply um, to uh, an instruction or a, 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 a document or a speech. It would be saying this particular page of, of this section, this is a rhema, this is a, this is a, a document, this is a writing. But Jesus doesn't use that word. He doesn't say if you abide in just this little document right here in this one piece of paper. He says, if you abide in my lagos, that's the word that he uses there. And this is the other biblical term that's used that is an all-encompassing word for truth. It means the full embodiment of truth. John uses it at the very beginning of his gospel in John chapter one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word there is logos, referring to Jesus. He's the full embodiment of divine truth that has been revealed to us. A direct revelation of the Lord delivered with his authority and made effective with his power that we are intended to follow the full embodiment of his truth. And so Jesus is essentially saying to these new believers here who who just confessed him as the light of the world, that's great that you've expressed belief in me. It is great that you appear to confess and recognize that I am who I say I am. However, I want you to know the way that you're gonna prove that you're really not just a believer, but a follower of mine is that you're gonna continue remaining in my truth, all of it, for the rest of your days. Now, why again is this important in this context? Because the other folks in the room had already rejected Jesus as the Messiah. No way. They valued their opinion and the opinions of others as a higher authority than Jesus's. And likewise, these that claim to have believed, you're going to see, well, you'll see if you were to keep reading in chapter eight, they too are also going to reject Jesus. They have a certain idea of what they want in Jesus, but they're not willing to submit to the full truth of who he is for the long haul. 
And so we see right out of the gate, one of the marks of a true disciple is recognizing and submitting to Jesus's word as the highest governing voice in your life for the long haul. And if you can't do that, if you're only going to pick and choose what you're going to believe about Jesus, then you're not following Jesus. You're following yourself. You're following someone else. Now, today, when we talk about the word of God, we talk about the word that is Jesus. Yes, in this sense, it is the full embodiment of who Christ is, but his word was also captured by the Holy Spirit for us so that we would have it actually in written form as well. Um, that would be passed down from generation to generation, that there would be no ambiguity. Uh, uh, there is no gray area here about who Jesus is. And it's been captured in what we call the scriptures or the word of God. And in doing so, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. Every bit of this is from God. It's breathed out from God, and it is profitable for us for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that every man of God would be made complete and equipped for every good work. That is the authoritative word that is sufficient for us perfectly, for the life that he's called us to live. Peter said the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 1, Knowing this, first of all, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Literally translated, none of the Bible is man's own imagination. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. However, it was produced when men spoke from God as they were carried along. That's inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's what we have today. We have the word of God in front of us. The scriptures affirm themselves that this is the word of God, the word of Christ manifest for us, given to us, perfect, authoritative, and sufficient. Now, just caveat here, that does not mean that the word of God is sufficient for every single thing in life. If you're coming to God's word to learn how to change the oil in your car, you're gonna be disappointed. If you're coming to God's word so you can get some insider tips on whether you should trade with crypto or not, you're going to be disappointed. If you're coming to this to find out if the Dallas Cowboys are going to win tonight, there may be something in there on that. But otherwise, you're going to be disappointed. No, that is not the intention. But the word of God is sufficient for everything that God has designed you for in this life. To know how to live and to be to exhibit the fruit of righteousness that is in accordance with the nature of Jesus Christ for God's glory. In fact, Peter said this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It is his divine power that has granted to us everything, everything you need. Listen to this, pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. And so since this is God's revealed truth, his revealed word to us. We are called to submit to it as the highest authority for how to live this life according to how God designed it and not by anything less. In fact, Jesus said in John 14, 21, the one who has my commandments, the one who has my word and obeys them, who keeps them, that is evidence of the one who loves me. If you are going to take God's word and not obey it, 
That is not evidence of one who loves or follows Jesus as a disciple. And so in assessing whether you and I are true disciples of Jesus Christ, according to his word, one of the first questions we have to begin with is the issue of authority. Is God's word the highest authority in your life? Is God's word the highest authority in your life? And is his truth and his counsel that's contained in this word, is it the first place that you turn to for wisdom and guidance and decisions in this life? And if not, why not? If you call yourself a follower of Christ, if indeed Jesus is the highest authority, then it only makes sense that his word would become our delight that his word would be the very nutrients we feast on, that his word would be that which influences and affects the decisions we make, the friendships we have, the marriages that we enter into, the families that we may lead, the coworkers and the relationships at work that we enter into, the, the, how we navigate the hardships of life. They're all governed sufficiently as God has wired it for you to abide in as you walk through this life. Now, unfortunately for many of us, myself included on on any given day, if I'm not guarding this in my own life, we can fall into one of the dangers and temptations of cherry picking God's Bible, of this word, the word of Christ. Much like we do with streaming platforms today, I don't want everything that's on a channel. I just want that one show. Uh, so I'll, I'll purchase a little HBO Max so I can have this show. I'll grab, I'll grab Peacock so I can, I can binge on this one. I'll, I'll grab a little bit of Netflix over here. Um, I'll grab a little bit of Paramount here. Apple TV, if I want my lasso, whatever it is, I'm just going to grab that one platform so I can cherry pick that one show I've got to have. And unfortunately, we'll do the same thing with the scriptures as well. Well, I'll take the red letters of Jesus, but I don't want Paul's words too hard. Well, give me all the love passages and tolerance passages, but let's not deal with the morality and sexuality and and the hard truths of scriptures that are hard for me to face. Or we go Thomas Jefferson on this thing, our third president, who took a razor and a pair of scissors and cut out every place in the New Testament where there was a miraculous event that occurred, including the resurrection of Jesus Christ because the supernatural did not mesh with the enlightenment error of his day. And so he got rid of anything that seemed supernatural and wasn't linear. That's cherry picking. And that is not the true followership of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, if you're gonna follow me, I don't want you taking half my word. I want you to imbibe in all of my word for all of your days. And so the first aspect here has to do with authority. Our submitting to the authority of Christ's word is evidence that we're a disciple is. Now, the second aspect that we need to understand of this is the avenue by which we embrace that authority, the day-by-day way in which we approach God's word, Christ's word, as the authority that governs our lives. And Jesus uses the word here, abide, as that avenue. Abide. Now, what does that mean? Abide, the literal word abide again means to remain, means to continue over the long haul. But Jesus doesn't really expand on that word right here in John chapter eight, but he does just a few chapters later. So uh, flip over to the right with me, if you would, to John chapter 15. 
A little later here in John's gospel, John chapter 15, Jesus is going to give a lot more attention to this word abide and what it looks like in the life of a disciple. Now, John chapter 15 has its own context. Jesus has just finished his last supper in the upper room. This is the eve of his crucifixion. Just hours from now, he will be hanging on a cross. He's just finished the last supper in the upper room. At the end of chapter 14, verse 31, he says, let us arise and let us leave this place. And in chapter 18, he's gonna arrive in the garden of Gethsemane where he'll there pray and then be arrested and go through his trials. Between chapter 14 and 18, though, what is Jesus doing? He's leaving the upper room. He's walking across and down the Kidron Valley over to the Garden of Gethsemane. And along the way, Jesus is going to have some final words that he is going to share with his disciples before he's arrested, crucified, buried, raised, and ascended. These are important words that Jesus is gonna share with his disciples. In the context of these words, the whole message is aimed at what is going to help Jesus' followers um, be fruitful in the life and the ministry that he has commissioned them to walk in after he's gone. And this applies to all of us. And as Jesus is walking, as he's gonna talk about fruitfulness, like any good rabbi in rabbinic fashion, they love to use word pictures and living metaphors. And Jesus passes by a grapevine and he's gonna stop and he's gonna use a grapevine as an illustration for what it means to abide in his word. And you and I, I'm, I'm, I just self-confess, we're not living in a part of our country where there's a lot of grapevines all the way. The only grapevine we have is a huge shopping mall uh, that we go to over here um, just west of us. And, and there's uh, some hotels and maybe you'll find some really fun vineyards that you can take some, some uh, selfies in front of over there. But in general, we don't have vineyards all across us. But I had the privilege of living, and I mentioned this last week, living in Fresno, California for seven years. Still doesn't make me a 49er fan, but I, I had the privilege of living there for seven years and there are vineyards everywhere. Am I right? Californian, I know you are. Uh, all over the place, there are vineyards everywhere. You look at these pictures. I mean, this was in my backyard uh, all around Fresno. Now, some of y'all maybe have flown out to Napa, wine country, you've seen some of this. The whole Central Valley is marked by vineyards. They're just different. Napa's centering on wine. Fresno's not centering on wine as much as they are raisins, table grapes, um, but vineyards are everywhere. And I was so privileged at the church that I was at to have so many members who are actually um, uh, grape growers. They're vineyard growers. They, they ran entire vineyards uh, in industries on this. And several of them, one time, uh, many times actually, I was taken out to some of these vineyards would show me what this process looked like. It's just fascinating looking at how vineyards are grown, maintained, and produce everything that we enjoy when we enjoy whether the liquid form or the, the edible form of grapes. Now, for us, though, I think it's important to understand how this works in order to understand what Jesus is about to say. I want to show you this diagram of a, just a typical grapevine and what the parts mean. Uh, because Jesus is looking at one of these while he's about to say these words, and the word picture is going to help us. When you look at a grapevine, there's several parts to it. The most important 
begins when it's planted in the root system. The tap root is the center root. It will go down as far as 20 to 50 feet below, digging in. Uh, and then there's feeder roots that go out about three, four feet. And this is where all the nutrients are gonna be found and will build up out of the surface a trunk. And the healthier and older the, the grapevine is, the thicker the trunk will be. And this trunk will grow up vertically. And again, all the life is in this. And then it hits a point where it uh, creates a head and stops growing vertically and will start growing out horizontally and it'll burst out into these arms of the trunk, these thick arms. The arms, the trunk, and the roots is the vine. That's the vine. That is where all the life is found. Out of the arms will shoot out what are called canes. We call them branches. It's the long vineyard branches that are going out. And out of each one of those will bud these little eyelets and these shoots will come out with these leaves and they will produce the grape clusters off of the branches, off of the canes. Now, the truth is in understanding this, uh, what I learned when I went out there is that the vineyard owner no matter who they are in California or wherever there's a vineyard, they're obsessed with one thing, and that is fruitfulness. The goal of growing all of this is that you would produce fruit, not growing this for just aesthetic appeal. It's that it would actually produce fruit. And he wants as many healthy grapes as possible to grow. Now, in order for that to happen, that involves a lot of pruning, once this thing begins to bear leaves, there's a lot of leaves, creates a canopy. And the canopy is a good thing, but there has to be a certain amount of room that is given in order for the sunlight to get in and photosynthesis to occur and a healthy grape cluster to grow. And so that involves cutting away a lot of leaves and a lot of branches so that you don't overgrow the healthy fruit, the healthy vine that's supposed to be there. And so there's pruning that's done. And um, oftentimes it also involves cutting away the fruitless branches. There are canes that will grow out that at time will not produce much or any fruit. And usually that's because they've been either overgrown by uh, outside bush and stuff that's clustered it in or disease and insects have set in or it's somehow just become detached from the vine. That cane is no longer sewn in to the vine properly and it withers and it dies. And all you do is you cut that off and you don't have garbage trucks coming around picking that up. You throw it in a fire heap and you burn it. And that's the process that goes on there. Now, as long as the branch is attached healthily to the vine, it will produce fruit. It's guaranteed. And some vines have the ability to produce fruit for as many as 150 years if they're healthy. Generations of fruit. In fact, the Guinness record, I believe, is uh, close to 400 years for one particular grapevine. But somebody like me, man, I, I had to go, I didn't know any of that. I got to go learn all that stuff. And it's helpful imagery. For a first century Jew, everybody knew about this. This was all around you. Everyone knew and understood the rootstock system, the vine, the branches, and how fruitfulness occurred. And so with that in mind, Jesus, somewhere as he heads out of the upper room, sees a grapevine, 
and stops and gives these words. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 of chapter 15, and then we'll talk about some implications. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, they're thrown into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. It's God's word. And it's interesting here. Um, I, I, I don't have the time to go through every single verse here like we did three years ago when we were actually studying the Gospel of John. But I do want to draw your attention to a few things as they pertain to this mark of a disciple of abiding in Christ's word. The first thing I want to draw your attention to just helpful in this is just the cast of characters and the correlation made to the vineyard. Jesus says that the vine dresser, the one who owns the vineyard is God himself. God the Father has planted a vineyard with the expectation of fruitfulness. No different than any vine grower that you would find. That's what God the Father has done. That's what the God, God the Father is after. Jesus identifies himself as the vine. He's the root system, the trunk, and the head and the arms that pop out that all the life is contained in. This is Jesus Christ. He is the vine. But notice he's not just the vine, even though that's, that's also one of Jesus's seven I am statements. I am the vine. It's not just I'm the vine. Notice what he says. I am the true vine. And why would he say that? Unless there is such thing as false vines unless there are imitations out there that look like a vine, but do not produce life. Now, I think in reference, what Jesus was referring to here specifically was how God's people were looking to Israel and the religious leaders to be that source of the vine. All throughout the Old Testament, God refers to Israel as a choice vineyard of his that was planted to bear fruit. That's what Israel is expected to be. But as they rejected Jesus, passages like Isaiah 5, um, Psalm 80, talks about how this vineyard got corrupted. It got overgrown. It grew wild fruit and no longer bore the fruit that was in keeping with God's design and intention. Jesus comes along and essentially saying, that's why I've come. That's why I've come. The systems of man are broken. I came to fulfill God's requirements. 
I am the true vine. And as long as you're sown into me, you will bear fruit. And in that regard, we are the disciples who are the branches. We're the canes that are shooting off, that are meant to bear healthy fruit as long as those canes are abiding in the vine. Second thing that I point out here is that we, we do well to really pop up and understand the 30,000 foot picture of what Jesus is trying to communicate here. And that the whole point of this lesson is about fruitfulness and connectedness. And they go hand in hand. What the father is after in the vineyard of his children, which is you and I, is fruitfulness. But fruitfulness only comes through connectedness, through attachment to the vine. And that's the word abide. Ten times in this passage, Jesus uses the word abide, of abiding. And again, in a literal sense, it's to remain, to continue in, to be attached. But agriculturally speaking, and I love this definition, agriculturally, the word abide means to sink deeply in. Think about that for just a moment. That is what you and I are to do. As the, the branches that God has created to bear fruit and redeemed to bear fruit, we are intended to sink deeply into Jesus Christ and his word. We are to sink deeply and we are to do this over the long haul, not just one moment of our life where we walk an aisle, pray a prayer, grab hell insurance and go live how we want. Life is going to come by a permanent attachment, abiding and sinking deeply into Jesus. That's why Jesus said in verse four, just as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, you can't do this on your own. It must, it must be abide, abiding in me. You must be abiding in me. The pathway to life and fruitfulness is by remaining attached in connected devotion to Jesus. Y'all, there's a lot of other vines that are out there. The world every single day is throwing vineyards our way to try to tell us this is where you're gonna find your life. This is where you're gonna find your joy. This is where you're gonna find the fruitfulness that God has designed for you. And those are false vines. They don't lead to life. They only lead to destruction. Whether it's other religions, worldly ideologies, um, uh, worldviews that run counter to Jesus Christ and his word. They don't lead to life. Only Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. This is how you'll experience the fruitfulness that God has designed for you is by being attached to him. Now, I think how that translates, put the cookies on the lower shelf here, how that translates to us, I think it is a daily communing with Jesus through his word. It involves us spending deep abiding time with Jesus through his word, allowing the scriptures to wash over us, to accept the truths of this word as the highest authority of our life because they, can, they come from God who, who wants our good, who has designed us for flourishing if we're in him and we spend time in his word. And I, I think it's important to see it's not just for accumulation of information, it's so that we could experience Jesus and practice the presence of Christ through his commands, through his word. As one of my seminary profs used to tell me all the time, it does not matter how many times you have been through God's word. 
It matters how many times God's word has been through you. It doesn't matter how much you know about the word of God. It's how much you experience the God of the word through his word. That's the end goal. And it's a spending time in the scriptures, allowing the Holy Spirit to bring the truths of these pages off the page to convict our hearts, to, to prune away the, the dead pieces of our lives that don't look like Jesus so we can be conformed to the image of Christ and experience him. But it's a two-way street. It's this intimacy. It's not, it's not just receiving God's word. It's him receiving our word too, our prayers independence, recognizing that he's sovereign, he's authoritative, he's good, and our lives are dependent upon him. And so us praying in dependence and humble dependence for him to do what he can only do through in and through us in this two-way street. And, and this is the beauty of this. The pathway to life and fruitfulness is by remaining attached daily in abiding devotion. Are you communing with Jesus? Are you spending time in his word? Or is this really just the leftovers of your day or week? Is all you're getting from God's word is the one hour of my teaching this week? There is so much more intimacy to be gained than when you walk with Jesus himself through his word. That's the whole point of this text. Now, that being said, what? What are some things that we can expect when we abide in the word of Christ? I'm gonna finish out this message here by just showing you through this text um, a handful of things that we can expect when we daily walk with Jesus through his word. Number one, and this is something maybe you wouldn't expect, but you can bank on it, is you can expect the pruning shears of the father. We see that in verse two. If indeed you are connected to the vine, the vine dresser who is God is gonna do whatever possible to ensure that you and I are fruitful, that we are conforming to the image of Christ and bearing fruit in keeping with him. As you and I abide in Christ, as we obey his word, God is going to expose the areas of our life that should not be. And he is going to allow his word to convict us, to cut us to the quick. He's even gonna allow pain into our life in order to wean us off of the world and wean us more onto him. Now, when you experience pain and suffering as a believer in Jesus Christ, that is not proof that he does not love you. It is quite the opposite. It is proof that he does. It's proof that he does. He has to cut away what ought not be in order to produce even more of what should be. And so one of the things you can expect is pruning from a father who loves you and will use the word of his son to, to chisel us into the image of that son. Secondly, though, we see this in verse five, is you can expect when you abide in the word, Holy Spirit wrought fruit. Now, biblically speaking, there are two types of fruit that are constantly being produced in our lives. There is dead fruit and living fruit. There is worldly fruit and spiritual fruit. There is fleshly centered fruit and there is the fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit. Paul spoke of this when he wrote to the Galatians in Galatians chapter five, when he said, now the works of the flesh are evident. You wanna know how to tell 
when you are being sown into your own selfishness rather than Jesus, when you are being sown into worldly ideologies rather than biblical truth. You wanna know how to tell when you are being sown uh, into the desires of your flesh versus the promptings and leading and fruit of the spirit. Here's how you can tell. It'll manifest itself in your life. Daily, weekly, or yearly fruit that looks like sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is not fruit that is in keeping with someone who is daily sown into the vine of Jesus Christ. That's not the fruit that the vine produces when you're sown into Christ. That's the fruit that your flesh produces when you're following after you or you're following after the world. And we all have that tendency every single day to to depart or loosen our tether from Jesus. And we'll see these fruits come up and that should be check engine lights at best. Worst case scenario, it's evidence that you're not his when that's done over the long haul. However, Paul says, the fruit of the spirit, how do you know when you're actually sown into the vine? When you are abiding in Christ and the spirit is producing fruit, it'll manifest itself in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, well, they have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Short truth of it is this, whoever you are abiding in will determine the fruit that comes to your that manifests itself in your life. It's the telltale sign. If you are abiding in Jesus Christ and his word, the Holy Spirit will produce in you what you simply cannot produce on your own. And that is a fruit that is in keeping with the vine that you're sown into. And so a Holy Spirit wrought fruit. There's something else we see that when you abide in Christ occurs, and that is in verse seven, you are awakened in your prayer life. I mean, there's an intimacy that's going on. When you're abiding in Christ, you're receiving his word and he's receiving your words and prayer and you have this, this intimate relationship together. Your prayer life's gonna be awakened. You're gonna, you're gonna cry out to your heavenly father for the needs that you have. And where there is prayer, there will be answered to prayer. Now, you need to understand this because in this context, we need to unpack Ask anything you want and it'll be given to you. What does that mean and not mean? You need to understand that. That phrase, ask anything you want, is in a context. It assumes something. It assumes that what you want, that what you're asking for, is in keeping with the nature of the vine that you're sown into. No grapevine branch is pleading with the vine, give me apples. It knows the type of vine that it's sown into. It wants a fruit that is in keeping with the life of the vine. And in the same way, it's with us. When you're abiding with Jesus Christ, you are so identified with him that the Holy Spirit uses his word to begin shaping our desires, our convictions, our wants that are reflective of him. And we begin to be formed to delight in the word of Christ and to delight what it is in his nature to give things that are in keeping with that. This is not a proof text that God is your personal genie. That if you just confess his name, ask for whatever you want and he'll give it. 
That, that's, that's not what this is about. This text shows that a true abiding devotion to Christ and his word will begin to form our desires so that we begin to care about what God cares about. And we begin asking for those things in which our heavenly father is all the more delighted to answer those prayers and to see that accomplished in our life. In addition to that, you see in verses nine and 10 that when we abide in the word of Christ, it produces a love-motivated obedience in us. Jesus is saying here, the Father has loved me. I, I have loved you out of that love that he's given me. And the way that I'm gonna know that you love me is through your obedience to my word. It's not that we must obey Christ in order for him to love us. But if we're in Christ, then we'll want to obey him because of his great love for us and it being an expression of our love for him. Same thing plays out in my marriage. I don't serve the needs of my wife and seek to obey her wishes and desires for our marriage. Um, and she doesn't serve me and my desires and, and the need to, to obey uh, my desire for our marriage. We don't, we don't obey that for one another because we're trying to get the other person to like us and to love us. That has already been established. We want to serve each other in obedience for the goal of a Christ-centered marriage because of the love that has already been established with us. And this is one of the ways that we express our love. If I love her, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to want to obey her desires her, her, uh, in keeping with Christ and vice versa. And the same is true in our relationship with Jesus. Those who abide in Christ obey Jesus as a want to, not a have to. Conversely, though, what Christ is showing us here is that you can't say you love Jesus and not obey him. Then if that's the case, then you are a liar. That's the fruit of someone who is not connected to the vine. That's no different than those in John chapter eight who believed in him for a moment as the light of the world, but didn't want to follow him the long haul. They're cherry picking. You can't follow Jesus without following what Jesus has commanded. A true disciple will show their love for Christ in obedience and submission to his commands, which are for our good. Fifth thing that we'll see in here, if we abide in the vine, is in verse 11. And that is, we will experience the fullness of joy that is his. Obedience to Christ is not a martyr's lot. It is not you. God didn't give us a bunch of rules here. So we'll just pull up the bootstraps and go. These aren't rules as much as they are a design for flourishing from the one who created us and knows what is best, unlike the lies of the world that we fall prey to. And so therefore, Christ says here, one of the guaranteed results of being connected to the vine is that you will experience true joy that you're searching for. In other words, according to this text, it is impossible to abide in Christ and lack joy. Do you know that? Now, to be clear, he's not talking about easy circumstances here and happiness. We're not talking about if we're looking to follow Jesus just so life will be easy and we'll be happy all the time. I'm going to tell you the next three marks we're going to look at over the next three weeks are going to be brutal for you. It'll be a rude awakening because we're going to talk about all that can possibly happen to a believer because they follow Christ in hardship. Abiding in Jesus does not guarantee circumstantial happiness. What it ultimately means is that your life will be marked by a deep internal joy from within that is not rooted in circumstances, but it is rooted in Christ, 
with you knowing that Jesus is greater and more satisfying than any other thing that the world could offer you. You'll experience internal joy despite circumstances. The last couple of things that we see here that come from abiding actually came earlier in the passage in verse eight, both of these, but maybe two of the biggest takeaways. The sixth thing we see here is that when we abide in the vine of Christ, God is glorified through us. Your fruitfulness will glorify God. I gotta tell you, there was uh, nothing honored the California vine growers that I knew more than harvest time when they were able to walk down those rows and see the bounty of fruit that had been produced, that vindicated all the hard work and the planting and the watering and the pruning and the praying. And now the joy that came with getting to uh, benefit the rest of the world with the fruit that came. When God sees you and I as his children, his choice vineyard, bearing fruit that we could not produce on our own, but came by the power of the spirit at work in us as we sink deeply into the life and the word of his son. Oh, how God is glorified. It's what Peter prayed for, or Paul prayed for in the church of Philippi, Philippians 1, being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through the Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. He gets the glory for the work that has been produced through us by his strength. It's a beautiful thing. And then lastly, what comes of this is an authenticated discipleship. At the end of verse eight, by doing so, you'll prove that you are my disciples. The fruitfulness that comes from abiding in Christ's word is what proves you're actually his. One pastor said it this way, God is not in the business of playing hide and seek within his children. God did not choose you so he could just go hide in you and remain dormant. If the presence of God is in your life, everyone will see. You cannot hide him. The fruit will manifest the fact that you have been abiding with him and the world will know despite your circumstances. Now, just like a vineyard, does that mean hard freezes won't come? There won't be seasons of barrenness, that there won't be threats of disease and insects and overgrowth of, of worldliness creeping in on us? No, all those things are gonna happen. But if you are truly in Christ and you abide in his word, you will bear fruit in keeping with his nature and you therefore will glorify God and prove that you're a disciple of Jesus. That is the second mark, y'all. First mark is a love for Christ, a love for Jesus. Second mark here is abiding in the word. So just like we've done last week and we'll do each and every week, I think what this text demands, Northway, is that we do some introspection this week, that we really spend some time doing some serious reflecting and asking, is this mark characteristic of me? Could, could I look at my life, could others look at my life and see a vibrancy of spiritual fruit growing from my life simply because I have been abiding in Christ's word? And if not, why not? Is it because you've allowed too much worldliness to, to overgrow the growth of fruit in your life? Is it because there have been threats that you have been allowing to penetrate and infect you that would rot you out? Or is it because maybe you've never been connected to the vine in the first place? And this is an opportunity to put your trust in Jesus Christ. 
And for those that have, this is an opportunity for us to dig deeper into our intimacy with Jesus, to sink deeply, spend more time in his word and communion with him and allowing ourselves to image Christ as the Holy Spirit would accomplish his work in us. If we put our trust in any other vine, it will lead to death and destruction. If you are looking for a starting place, can I just invite you? One low-hanging fruit right now is Northway Training. We got classes that start here this next week, and they're all centered around the Word of Christ. You could be a part of our men's and women's Bible classes. They're gonna be, we're walking through the book of James, which is a very relevant book in the, in the Bible, and it's all helping us to understand the Word of God, to become more literate in the Word of God, and ultimately to abide in that Word and apply it to our life. You could also jump into our church history class. It's not just linear church history. Here's an informational study. The whole thing is revolved around the idea of sola scriptura, scripture alone. How has the sufficiency of scripture been a mark of the church throughout its history? It's gonna be a beautiful class to understand that. Maybe for some it's jumping in our gospel care class where you can take your own brokenness and apply it to the word of God. Have the word of God read you and minister to you and heal you from the addictions and the brokenness uh, that you've experienced in life. Maybe it's jumping in the biblical counseling class. You can learn how to take God's word and apply it to other people's brokenness whom you encounter on a weekly basis. Maybe for others, it's our gospel mission class. It's gonna help you take the word of God and go give it away to the nations around us, starting with right here in our own community. Whatever it be, there's some low-hanging fruit for you that we can walk with you in, or just come visit with us afterwards. Some of our staff and volunteers would love to point you to what it can look like to take some healthy next steps for an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. But for all of us, may this characteristic be true of us, that you can prove you're a disciple of Jesus because of your intimate, abiding, submitting devotion to the word of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for the reminder of our need for you. That the truth is, is that apart from Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. There is no fruit that can be born in our own self-sufficiency and self-righteousness. Only one that comes from abiding in the vine. So God, would you help us this week to see more clearly the beauty of the intimacy with you, to see our need for areas of conviction and repentance and areas that we have not submitted to your word or have cherry-picked it. God, may you render our hearts in full submission to you for the glory that is due to your name and for the joy and the goodness that will be produced by abiding in Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Northway Church. A podcast should never replace gathering with God's people to worship Jesus. So we want to encourage you to be a part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 11.15, and 4 p.m., and would love for you to join us as we encounter the truth, beauty, and goodness of Jesus.